Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to another episode of the Madhouse Podcast. As always, I am your host, Mad Max. Today's episode is our second part in our John Wick series. Today we're talking about John Wick, uh, John Wick Chapter 2. Uh, this movie came out in 2017, I believe. Um, it still retains the same director and everything else like that. So, um, in this film, we have a slew of new characters and a brand new uh, plot line to deal with. Wow. So, I will be going over a lot of the plot line in detail. So, if you have not seen John Wick Chapter 2, there's your spoiler warning. Um, but, um... Anyways, we get to, we meet John, at the end of the first John Wick, John settles the score with uh, Vigo and his son after they, you know, took away the things that meant most to him. But the one thing that John still didn't get at the end is his car. He got revenge for them killing his dog, but he didn't get his car back. So, uh, I think the beginning of the movie is him hunting down the car, and... I think that this film, I think that this the movie opens with John going to the streets of New York and everything like that. So we find John going through a warehouse of more Russian guys, and now Vigo's brother uh, is now running this uh, shop, is now running the show, and he wants nothing to do with John Wick and agrees to give him the car. But it goes a long ways in that aspect in the in the event that. John gets his car back, but unfortunately, it gets totaled uh, on the way there. So he takes it to Aurelio, played by John Leguizamo, who also returns and tries to repair the car and everything like that. However, so that's kind of like a cool opening, you know, for John to John kind of for John to kind of get back on his own feet and everything like that. So um, the movie's plot. You know, that was kind of like time. That basically is like the, like you could have taken that first 10 minutes of that film where John's going to those guys trying to get his car back and everything like that. And you could have tied it into the very end of the first film because that's not even, that really has anything to do with the entire film as a whole because it's after that that the film picks up its main story, which is uh, one of the crime bosses, a new crime boss in the form of, in the form of, hold on, I have the name, doesn't really work that way, however, a new crime boss by the name of Santino D'Antonio uh, is, has John, has kind of has a, a little bit of a dark cloud over John in the sense that he's, he's been holding this in the first film, they mentioned John had to do an impossible task in order for him to leave the crime syndicate that he was a part of. Part of that, now part of his impossible task, he had to hold what they call a marker to, um, he had to hold what is called a marker to uh, Antonio, and Antonio's come to collect. Now, Antonio... Antonio's um, Antonio's issue is that he the the crime family after his father has passed away um, the crime basically the enterprise the entire crime family is going to his younger sister and not him and 
to kind of to kind of exacerbate that problem to kind of get rid of it he asked John you know it's kind of like a parting gift to say hey you still owe me a favor this is what I want you to do so John has no other choice but to uh, accept the offer and go to Rome Italy to kill his sister uh, to kill his sister Gianna Gianna is very much like Anto uh, Antonio but maybe not as ruthless and not as cruel and everything like that and um, her main bodyguard is is the, another high-end killer by the name of Cassian who's played by the newly arriving common in this and John is in Italy he sets up at the it, the Continental Hotel, which they have in Italy, and everything like that. So John is kind of doing this out of, really out of no choice. He has one job to do, and he has, he has one job to do, and he's dead set on doing it. However, when he gets there, Gianna is already there and ex is expecting him, and she takes her own life, but to kind of prove that he's done the job but to prove that he's you know done the job already he shoots her in the head to kind of end her misery and everything like that however what john does not expect is not only does gianna and her bodyguards um uh go after john but antonio has now double crossed him in events that once gianna was killed that you know they were going to tie up loose ends, and not only was he uh, Antonio going to take over the crime family, but he was going to have John Wick in his debt anymore. And that's where all hell breaks loose. When when Antonio double crosses John and fails, and those men fail to kill John Wick in Italy, all hell breaks loose, and now John is on a, um, a war path to, um, to kill. Uh, Antonio and it it really it really does harken back to the whole everybody's after one killer you know and everything like that so it was kind of cool to see that it was kind of cool to see that because that's what that's what the whole movie's about not only is he taking out bad guys left and right but he's also taking out um Everybody that stands in his way. Uh, throughout the entire movie, he's running from not only Gianna's men, but also D'Antoni's men and everything like that. And the movie, there's a great shootout and a great fight scene between Keanu Reeves and Common on the train. And rather than kill him, he lets him live and everything like that. He, It, it ends when... John Wick takes Common's own knife and stabs him in the chest. But rather than remove it and let him bleed everywhere, he considers it a personal courtesy by letting him live. And Common kind of sits back with a smile on his face like, okay, all right. And uh, everything like that. So um, that's kind of the whole thing. Now, John... At, you know, as the movie's going on, John is going through a plethora of killers. Now, one of the killers that works for D'Antonio is played by Ruby Rose. She plays a deaf killer. Not a deaf killer, but she plays a killer that's a mute. 
you know, she communicates via sign language. And then, of course, um, John knows sign language as well and everything like that. So it's really kind of, um, it really kind of is something to see in those aspects. And, um, you know, he goes through a lot of characters in this film. Another character that is introduced is the Bowery King, played by Lawrence Fishburne. And it was so cool to see Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne back in the same movie since the uh, Matrix series was already over and everything like that. So um, it really is something to see. And uh, it really is something to see in that aspect of, you know, just kind of like a, a callback to the Matrix and everything like that. But... John goes to all these characters, he fights Common, and then he fights Ruby Rose. Now, the Ruby Rose fight is kind of cool to me because it reminds me of those old school uh, Bruce Lee films, the martial arts and everything, because it's in, it's not in the Hall of Mirrors, but it's got it's like in a nightclub full of these mirrors, and I thought that was kind of cool to kind of see that and everything like that. This movie is a little bit more violent than the first one, and uh, John is basically out for blood once again because... He's indebted to the marker because that's one of the rules of the Continental. Pay up every marker and no business must be conducted on company grounds. They hit you over the head with that information at the, at the beginning of the film, which uh, really didn't make sense until the very end of the film. Now, when we get to the very end of the film, D'Antoni realizes that he's losing men and John is getting closer and closer. So he makes a deal with Winston, played by Ian McShane, who's the one running the Continental Hotel and everything like that, that says, you know, you got to do something about John. He's like, I can't do anything about John. John's a man of uh, focus and sheer will. You're not going to be able to stop him. And then then Tony has an idea. He goes, then fine, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving the Continental Hotel. And with that, with that begins this really, really, um, uh, this really, really kind of bad omen for John and everything like that. The fact that you cannot, you cannot perform, you cannot do business on the continental ground and, you know, all that other stuff and things like that. And it really kind of comes to a head for John at the end of the movie because D'Antoni is sitting in the lobby enjoying his dinner and John walks in. And, you know, John has already, he's got his gun and everything like that. And he's trying to do the best that he can to, to keep his cool and everything like that. But he knows that if he lets D'Antoni walk, you know, it's pretty much over. You know, he's going to have that high, that high horse over him for a long time. But he knows if he conducts business on the continental ground, it'll be a lot worse than just one crime family looking for you. But... He exacerbates the problem, you know, then Tony talks all his shit and John puts a bullet right between his eyes, right in front of everybody, puts a bullet right there. And, you know, it's this real played out moment because, you know, that John, like from John's point of view, he did the right thing. But if you look at all, but if you look at the sacred rules of the Continental, he's broken the most sacred rule of all. No business on um company on company on continental grounds because like they said in the last film 
um, they will be executed and everything like that because Perkins was executed uh, right there, not even at the Continental, but at um, you know at somewhere else in time altogether. And then Ian McShane has this look on his face like, oh shit. And the movie ends with John, with Ian McShane and John sitting in what looks like Central Park and everything like that. And he says, John, we have to enforce the rules. As of this moment, you are excommunicado and everything like that. However, you know, you have a 60 minute head start to get away from as far as possible. And there's there's this great shot as as Ian McShane is explaining this to John. And all this other stuff, John gets up and John says, send them all and everything like that. And he gets up, he starts walking away. And then you see all these telegraphs and everything going out saying John Wick is now excommunicado. It's an open target. You know, he's become an open contract. And as John is walking through Central Park, all of these cell phones are going off. And he's getting all these looks. And he's getting all these looks and everything like that. And it becomes prevalent that a lot of that he's being watched this entire time and uh, everything like that. And it he just starts running and running and running. And you get this idea and you starting to get this. um, You starting to get this idea that, you know, maybe something is wrong and something is off and you don't realize how far these uh these people are willing to go and how far, you know, John is, how helpless John really is and everything like that. And it's a great moment. John is just running through this, the, the city of New York and all these cell phones are going off and like all these people are starting to realize that John Wick is now an open target. They will now collect his bounty no matter what. And, you know, you thought fighting through one crime, like I said earlier, if you thought fighting through one crime family was bad, try fighting every single high-end killer in the world not just in new york but through the entire world and everything like that and that's how the movie ends they leave you they leave it open for interpretation they leave it open for another film which you know they're going to do because this second film was good and um the second film was good in every sense of the word it I think my only complaint with the second film probably has to be like, you know, just the simple things. Just, I think from a storyline, from a storytelling aspect, I felt the story was a little bit weaker because it still feels like a revenge film in a sense. Like this guy has John pretty much by the, by the fucking balls and says, you got to do this or you break the rules of the continental. And which is true. If John doesn't follow the rules of the marker, then he is you know, excommunicado, and even, even though, even though John, uh, does follow the rules of the, uh, of the marker and everything like that, he's still excommunicado by the time we get to the end of the movie, and everything like that, now, the action, the new characters, everything about the second film, outside of the story, like the action, the, the, the shootouts, the, the new characters, the storylines, and all this other stuff, everything but, the script, well, I shouldn't have said the storylines, but everything but the overall story of the film is pretty good. Like, I didn't really care 
I didn't really like the fact that this guy was holding this whole weight over John and that John really was kind of pretty much deemed helpless at this point because, you know, John does, John has to do the best that he can with what he has and everything like that. And then at the end of this film, you're kind of left with just this sense of helplessness for John. But knowing what John had been through in this film alone, there is a glimmer of hope because you feel like he can probably take on all these people and still get away with it and everything like that. And I think one thing, the world building in this universe is really, really good. You know, they delve deeper into the mind or into the whole, you know, continental and this high form of society and everything like that. All these fucking, you know, killers that are everywhere in the world. Not only are we leaving New York and New Jersey to go to Rome and realize that there's an even more of a crime syndicate out there that's underground and everything like that. It's really cool. There's a great scene in, I think it's in John Wick 2. Yeah, it's in John, well, obviously it's in John Wick 2, but there's a great scene where John's at the Italian um, Continental and he goes to see the chef, and I say quotations and everything like that, but, and I'm using quotations, you can't really see what I'm doing, but he goes to get a wine tasting and it's this great montage of the guy giving him guns. He gets a AR-15 and a, Big ass shotgun, some more side pistols, the Aust- the Austrian pistols and everything like that. He's got a new knife, you know, and everything like that. Gets a new suit, gets a new layout of the entire place and everything like that. It's a great montage. I really did enjoy it. Like I said, I think everything about this film was great except for the story. I did not like the fact that they picked up where the, second, where the first one leaves off, but I didn't like the fact that the only reason John got his freedom was because, you know, he made a blood oath, a blood pact with this guy. And now because John has to repay it, um, you know, this guy's, for, this you know, he's basically in this guy's debt from now on or until the debt has to be paid and everything like that. And then the fact that he tries to double cross him in that sense really kind of threw me for a loop when I was like, oh, hell, you done fucked up. And it's like, you know, we can't make John a target. You know, John can't be a target unless we make him one. Basically, like, the same thing they tried to do with Ant-Man, or not Ant-Man, but, like, Hank Pym in the first, in that opening scene of the first Ant-Man. He's like, he's not an enemy. He's not a threat unless we make him one, and everything like that. So, I want to say that was kind of the entire goal, and everything like that. But it did, out of, looking back on it now, it does kind of leave that kind of open for interpretation about the whole, you know, mystery thing about how John kind of is re- is looked at as this untouchable force. But it also did, looking back at it now, it did kind of was like a foreshadowing thing, very similar to what happened to Peter Parker at the end of uh, Far From Home uh, when he thinks it's this happy ending and you realize that even though Mysterio is dead, Mysterio lets the whole world know that, you know, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And now everybody's going to be after him no matter what. And it's this big old thing. And it's not it's not so much that everybody's trying to kill Peter Parker. It's the fact that everybody kind of knows who every, the secret's out now. If you thought it was bad trying to live this double life, now wait till the whole world finds out about it. And the same thing happens in John Wick chapter two. You know, if you thought it was bad trying to fight one crime family, wait till you try to fight them all at once 
and everything like that. So there's a cool little moments like that, you know, here and there. Like John Wick 2 really kind of set the standard for what, you know, how to make this badass unstoppable force a target rather than make him the prey instead of the hunter. You know what I mean? He goes from being the hunter to the hunted at the end of these two movies. You know, at the end of the first film, he's, you know, the debt's been paid. You know, we're good. We're even. Everybody's dead. Everybody goes, I go home. You know, and everything like that. To whereas the end of the second film, rather than having that somewhat of a happy ending, you have the ending of this is only the beginning. You realize that because he broke the sacred rules of the continental, all hell is about to break loose. And you would think all hell was going to break loose when they try to double cross him in Italy, but that was just the scratch of the surface. You know, you have no idea what to expect. And I think, I think when they make the jump to making the jump to three was great. The story, uh, like I said, I just didn't like the fact that it felt like it. They they really couldn't find a way to kind of have John Wick go on another adventure like this, or to go on another killing spree without introducing something about his past. And I was like, I get why they did it. I just felt it was a bit underwhelming. Like I said, the movie's great. The movie is good. I don't think it was better than one. I don't think it was better than one. But I do think the action, the fighting, the shootouts, all the stuff, the setting, the look and feel of Italy, New York, and all the places they go to in the film are fantastic. But like I said, it's just the overall setup of the movie. that it, It's the setup of the movie that I didn't like, basically. You know what I mean? And, but like, but this, I still give this movie an 8 out of 10. You know, it's on Peacock right now. Like I said before, all three of the, uh, of the John Wick films are on Peacock right now. So if you have Peacock, definitely check it out. Part one was amazing. Part two was great. We'll talk about part three next time. That episode will probably come out, uh, Thursday. Yeah. Either Thursday or Friday. And then sometime this weekend when I get a chance, because uh, I am going to go see John Wick 4 this weekend when it comes out. So there's that. And that's going to go ahead and do it for today's episode. If you like the episode, be sure to follow the podcast on all podcast outlets, whether it's Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Play, Odyssey, Reddit, wherever you're getting your podcast from. Be sure to follow the podcast on all social media outlets. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, the Madhouse 21. Let me know what you guys thought about John Wick Chapter 2. Do you think it's better than Part 1? Where do you rank it all? Where do you rank it in overall uh, in the trilogy? Is it the best one? Is it the list? Is it the not so? Is it the worst one? You know, whatever the case may be, let me know. Instagram and Twitter, the Madhouse 21. Like I said, be on the lookout for more episodes as they come out. I've already discussed that we are continuing the John Wick series, which will end sometime this weekend with the release of John Wick Chapter 4. Uh, Mandalorian, the new episode, comes out tomorrow. So uh, tomorrow's Mandalorian episode will cover Episodes 3 and 4. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for anything and everything that comes out of this podcast. And of course, as always, guys, be sure to embrace your inner madness. <laughs>